0: Well, as I mentioned, we have a tradition of focusing our attention and our generosity in the direction of of those that have needs that are greater than ours. And uh, in fact, um, I'm just going to highlight a few projects over the next several weeks that are going to let you know about some of the things that what you gave to last year are taking place now. In fact, one of them that I'm really excited about is a a very, um, very unconventional partnership that's been formed. In fact, right now, we are converting our West building that was formerly our youth building, which is the original church building. Um, Not only is that a home for Central Victoria, but um, that is also becoming a home for a unique partnership between B4 Church, the Beaverton School District, the Department of Human Health Services, and also several other nonprofits, all of whom are focused on serving the 2,400 homeless students that have been identified in the Beaverton School District. And so we're creating a A place where families can have their needs met, where people are joining together in their resources, and taking care of those things that are happening in our city and in our community. So that's just one project of many things that I'm going to be talking about over the next several weeks. And we're going to highlight these things and give you an opportunity just to give specifically above and beyond your normal giving to these things. And so if you want to join with us in the renewal of all things and you want to give to these sorts of things, um, there's a few ways that you can do that. Um, Online, there is a drop-down tab on our website that you can actually actually designate giving towards Advent. If you want to mail in a check, you can write it on the memo line or you can put it on an envelope any way you want. Just say Advent on it and we will make sure that all of those funds get specifically focused on reaching those needs that are met in our community and in the the world around us. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Last year, you guys gave so generously and we've been able to do so many amazing things and I can't wait in the weeks ahead to tell you about a few of those things. Um, Now, also along with this, as Jamie mentioned earlier, we're starting an Advent series and we're leading towards um, us getting together or at least being together in some sort on Christmas Eve. And so I'm going to kick this series off today and we're going to be talking about the peace of the presence of Jesus, the peace of his presence. And, uh... And as Jamie mentioned, I'm also excited that Pastor Randy's gonna be joining with us in this series. And uh, those of you that maybe don't know this, maybe you're new to B4, Randy was my predecessor here, and he's a good friend, and I'm really looking forward to to him joining us. Um, But I'm gonna start by us talking about peace together. And uh, the truth is this there is no other holiday on the globe that is celebrated or recognized like this one, like the holiday of Christmas. More people on the planet will celebrate the birth of this one person more than any other person in history, which I think is really interesting when you think about this. Um, We tend to make a very big deal about birthdays. That's kind of a big deal to us in our culture. We celebrate those who founded our country. We celebrate those that were significant civil rights leaders. Um, But no one has ever been celebrated like we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Christmas stands alone. Now, if you know me and you know me at all, you know that when there are things that are sort of anomalies, I start asking questions. And so this is one of those things that I tend to ask questions about. Why do we celebrate Christmas so differently than so many other holidays? Why is it this way? Um, Why this story? Why is the birth of this child born in the Near East celebrated by billions of people the way that we do thousands of years later? especially when you consider this and you think about this with his birth. Um, two of his biographies don't include any detail of his, of his birth. The two that do talk about his birth actually just cover some vague nuances. And beyond that, very little, very little is known about the birth of Jesus. Um, in fact, most of the things that we think we know about the birth of Jesus, we actually, um, we've assumed those things. We've read into the story. There's, there's conjuncture in those things. Like uh, there being animals at his birth. Um, nowhere in the Bible does it say that there were animals that were at his birth. We sing about it but it's not actually in the Bible. Um, or the idea that there's three wise men. I've never seen a nativity set that had less than three or more than three. There's always three, and yet and there's no mention of the number of wise men in the Bible around his birth. Um, even the idea of a manger and what we perceive in our concept or our mind is very different from what the Bible was describing when it describes the birth of Jesus. So it turns out that that nativity set that somebody sold your grandparents that was passed on to your parents and then passed on to you, that nativity set is really just sort of a guess And it's our best guess based on just what we think about these things. Here's another thing that's interesting about this. Jesus himself told us to do a number of things. Uh, In fact, he told us to even remember a couple of things. But Jesus never said this. He never said, make sure that you make a really big deal about my birthday. Because I'm really into birthdays. Like, Jesus nowhere ever did that. He never said that. Nowhere in the writings of his followers. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see somebody say, hey, you know what, we should pause and institute a holiday to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So so why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Why do we anticipate this moment the way that we do? Where does that come from? And, And I think when we ask this question, we might realize that we've become so familiar, this is so universal, that we've lost sight of just how strange this really is. So as we, as we enter into this season of remembering and anticipation and leaning into this expectation of Jesus, I think we should unpack some of the why behind this season. And in order to do that, I want us to step outside the story for just a moment and begin by looking at the history that was around Jesus at the time he entered in. When Jesus enters the scene, when he was born into this, what was the world like in that moment? Um, I think it's important, first of all, to know that Jesus was born into a tribe that believed that they'd been chosen by the one true God. They believed they'd been chosen to represent that God and to show the world that one true God. We talked about that a few weeks back in our vision series. And that sounds really nice. You go, okay, well, that's great that you were chosen by God and you show the world God. But this particular tribe who believed this about themselves, they had been conquered again and again and again. It was the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians. they just over and over again. There's one superpower after another who takes a turn beating up on this tribe. They invade their land. They tax them heavily. Uh, they, they haul some of them away to foreign countries. They make their lives miserable. And this just keeps happening to this group of people over and over again. There would be one oppressor after another that would come in and invade their land. All the way up until the moment in which we meet Mary and this fiance of hers named Joseph. In fact, um, it's, it's interesting to note that when the Romans came to Jerusalem and they went to build their military headquarters, they built it right next door to the Jewish temple and they built it just a little bit higher. Knowing that when the Jews would look to their temple, which was something they constantly did for a source of strength and a reminder of who God was in their midst, they would look at their temple and then they would see the Roman military installation next to it, just a tad taller. This is the world that they lived in. Also to understand this world that they were living in and what was happening at this time, we need to understand that the Romans were ruled by a series of emperors that were called Caesars. And the Caesars, they believed truly in all of their being, they believed they were sons of God, that they were sent from heaven to bring about universal reign of peace and prosperity. That's what they believed they were on the earth for. In fact, um, there was a familiar saying in the Roman Empire during this time, and they would say, there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved than that of Caesar." They were saying that before Jesus ever came on the scene. In fact, Caesar Augustus was called the Prince of Peace. This is the world that existed when Jesus was born. The Prince of Peace because according to him, peace is what he came to deliver. So the Romans, what they would do is that they would march all over the known world. They would would conquer village after village. They would demand that the people literally call Caesar Lord. They would have to declare Caesar as Lord. They had to actually say that. And by the way, they paid for this military expansion through taxation. Um, so they would extract taxes from the people that they conquered so that they could build a bigger army, so that, they could, so that they could conquer more people, so that they could tax more people, so they could build a bigger army, all in the name of spreading peace and prosperity. By, by the way, this it's why when we read in Luke's gospel, the birth of Jesus and his story, this is why we read it starting this way. It says this in Luke chapter 2 verse 1. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, the reason that people are being registered wasn't because they just wanted to get some census data they wanted to tax them. They wanted them to register so they could tax them so the empire could expand. That was the purpose behind. So the very beginning of the birth of Jesus starts with this sort of nod to this empire that's taxing the people and and causing them to live lives under submission to this rule. So, So here's the scene. The Romans would roll into town and they would demand that you recognize Caesar is Lord. And if you did, then they would consider you part of the empire. They would say, welcome to the family. You're a part of us. If you didn't do that, they had this device that they would hang you on called a cross in order to make an example of you of what it looks like when you don't hail Caesar, when you resist his lordship. This was how the Romans made peace. This is how they created peace in the world peace through domination. Submit, and you will have relative peace. Submit to this and call Caesar Lord, and you will experience relative peace. But if you resist, you will rest in peace, if you get what I mean, right? So there's this young girl that we meet, and her name is Mary. And she lives in this obscure corner of this oppressive empire that spans from England to India. That's where she lives. And her people are oppressed. Can you imagine the frustration of living in this environment? Imagine the shame. That's what they experienced was shame because this was their story generation after generation. They're tired of being stepped on. They're tired of being kicked around. They're tired of, 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 of having this God they worship that then allows them to be conquered by people who don't even acknowledge his name. There's this tension that exists among them. Again and again and again, there's this frustration. It reminds me of something in, our, in sort of recent world history for us. I, I remember in the 80s, uh, in the 80s, there was this up-and-coming band from Ireland. And uh, Ireland during the 80s was a nation that was uh, being ripped and torn internally from a guerrilla war. And there were car bombings and cafe bombings. And uh, it was, it was a, a very dark period in the nation uh, of, of Ireland. And there was this band that was rising in their fame, and they would close their live concerts by singing together with the crowd a version of Psalm 40. They would sing this song together, and the words of Psalm 40 go like this, an adapted version. They would sing, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pits, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, and he made my footsteps firm. Many will see many will see and fear. They would sing this with the crowd joining in with them. And then this band that some of you might know of, it's called U2, this band, the members of the band would slowly drift off the back of the stage and the crowd would continue to sing this line. How long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? And you could listen to the crowd as the noise just would begin to fade, and people would leave the stadium singing, How long to sing this song? It was a cry of a lost and desperate generation. How long will we have to live like this? How long until we can sing a new song? Not a song of war and oppression, but a song of liberation, a song of rescue, a song of redemption. That's what they were longing for. When I think about that moment, you can almost imagine the people of Israel at the time of Caesar Augustus, when Jesus was born, you can almost imagine them gathering in a stadium and singing together, how long must we sing this song? How long are we going to have to live like this. They were beaten and oppressed and they'd been kicked to the curb. They'd been stepped on. And then we read about an angel showing up to a teenage girl. And the angel delivers some news. And I want you to listen to what this angel says in Luke chapter 1, verse 28. The angel says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And now listen to this. And you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, his, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now think about the context in which this is happening. Rome is invaded. They live in this oppression. And Mary hears these words. And do you realize how revolutionary this is? Do you understand how subversive this is what's being said? You shall call his name Jesus. That that is as much a name as it is a statement. Jesus means Jehovah saves. In other words, the angel is saying to Mary, you're going to have a baby, and we want you to name your baby Jehovah saves. That means volumes in Hebrew. This is a tribe that Jehovah had delivered before Delivered out of the clutches of an empire called Egypt. And now this is reminiscent of those moments. And so by naming him Jesus, it's like God is saying, I'm going to do it again. I'm about to do what I've done before. He is going to pull you out of the miry clay and put your feet upon the rock. That child will be your deliverer. If you read this and he goes, on, he goes on, he says he'll be the son of the Most High. The son of the Most High is language that was ripped specifically from the Roman conquests. That language was the language of the Roman conquerors. He will have a throne. He will rule. His kingdom will have no end. He will be called the son of God. During the reign of the Caesars, the Caesars were referred to as the sons of God. Every bit of what this angel is saying to Mary is a reference to the rule and the reign of the Caesars. So while Rome has its foot on the throat of the Hebrew people, now it looks like God might be up to something. So Mary, she responds. In a few verses down in in the book of Luke, Mary offers this song, this poem back to God. By the way, um, if you ever think that Mary was a sort of sweet little innocent teenage girl who was sort of cluelessly got caught up in what God was doing in this story, then you haven't read what she said when she got this news. Um, do not reduce Mary to a naive teenager. And uh, don't get all emotional when you hear that old song, Mary, Did You Know? Um, I don't know who wrote that song, but they apparently didn't read the Bible because... Um, Mary definitely knew what was going on when she got this news because listen to what she says. She's a revolutionary. Listen to this. In verse 51, she, this is her words back to God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. This is not a naive teenage girl. In fact, if you read those same verses with the Scottish brogue, you would think it was Braveheart. This is undermining the empire. This is a revolution. You just have to scratch your head for a moment and say, who does this teenage daughter of Abraham think she is to claim that her baby will outlast Caesar? I mean, think about this. You have Mary and you have Caesar. Hebrew teenage girl, ruler of the known world. <laughs> who does she think she is in this moment? But this is why we love this story. This is why we love this. Because this is a story about underdogs. This is a story about people who've been beaten down and kicked to the curb. People who are wounded and hurt and they're tired and kind of weary from all the news. This is the stories. This is the story for those that have been shoved to the ground and have landed on the receiving end of one injustice after another. That's who this story is for. In fact, Jesus is pushed to the edges even at his birth when you notice this. Listen to this account. In verse 7 it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Do you see this? Who writes the story of God this way? If you're writing the story of God, if the Christ is to be born, shouldn't the Christ be born in a palace? Shouldn't the Christ be born among nobility and royalty? This should have been some grand affair. But this, this is the story and it intentionally confronts the vast majority of our assumptions about how the world works or where life is found or or what's meaningful. God enters the scene amidst images of homelessness, images of refugees, images of exclusion, images of poverty, images of helplessness. That's where God enters the story. Maybe that's why when you and I listen to the stories of Jesus, he's always on the fringes. Maybe that's why whenever there was an in-group that had kicked another group out, that other group is the group that Jesus actually went to. That's why Jesus went to the edges. That's why Jesus went to the fringes. By the way, just a quick question for you. If you were living at the turn of the century, back in 1 B.C., and somebody just came to you and said, hey, you want to make a bet about whose legacy or influence is going to last, uh, be the most pronounced throughout human history? If someone just said, you want to, like, let's have a wager and see who lasts longer, like, um, I'll take Augustus Caesar, and you take this obscure baby that's being born in some backwater town in, in the middle of nowhere in this massive empire. Which one would you bet on? Well, Those are some interesting thoughts, right? Which one would you bet on? Well, let me, let me just give you some details on what took place. Caesar died. <laughs> Caesar died. Nobody worships Caesar anymore. We like his salad, but that's about it. <laughs> um, The Roman Empire eventually crumbled and it exists only in history books. Meanwhile, Jesus is not dead. Hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people even, view Jesus as the most important figure in their life and they worship him as God. And the kingdom of Jesus is ever-expanding and never-ending even today. So what we see emerging out of the birth of Jesus is the tale of two empires. We have, we have one that's, that's crushing people and one that's loving people. There, there's this, this, this two empires, one that's about bondage and one that's about freedom, one that's about oppression and one that's about freeing and liberation, one that's about killing people and one that's about dying for people. This is the story of another way. That's everything that's emerging out of this is that there's another way than the way of the Caesars, than the way of the empire. This is revolutionary news of a Lord, one who does not deliver peace through coercive military violence, but through sacrificial service. That's what this is telling us. Just think about the cross. The cross alone is a symbol of this. The cross, which was a symbol of forced peace and power structures. The cross was this execution device that stood in cities all around the Roman Empire. The cross stood for power and oppression, and Jesus took the cross and turned it into a symbol of absolute peace and divine love. That's what he did. And it isn't relative peace. Jesus doesn't offer us relative peace like we can stop and say, well, I guess I have peace compared to last year, compared to this year, compared to whatever year. It's not relative peace. It is transcendent peace that he offers us. This is a peace that can live in a person's heart when they don't have closure. This is a peace that can live in a person's life when there is no resolution. This is a peace that allows us to be content and even happy because our satisfaction is found on another level. And our source of that satisfaction, our source of that peace is beyond ourselves. It's outside of our circumstances. So so, so the yearning that we experience, the unsettledness, the worry, the anxiety, the fears about our future... When those things come into contact with this transcendent piece of Jesus they dissipate they're eradicated they turn into a mist a vapor they vanish this peace that Jesus is offering this is for anyone anywhere no matter their circumstances so let me just ask you and have you consider is this not the peace that we're looking for isn't this what we're longing for? In His presence, in His presence, we find peace. We have this saying that we say, in His presence, we find peace. This is why the angels announced in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, they said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Peace. Because in Jesus, in Jesus, In him we find peace, a peace that is rooted in this trust that the life Jesus gives us is deeper and wider and stronger and more enduring than anything else that we could ever experience in our life. I'm gonna gonna close by just reminding you of a saying. Those of you that have maybe been around church longer than some of us, um, you remember this maybe even better than than me, but there is a saying of sorts that has accompanied um, this season for centuries, and it's really simple. For generations, people around Advent have uttered these three words. They have said, Come, Lord Jesus. What is this? What is come, Lord Jesus? It's two things. First of all, it's an invitation, and secondly, it's an admission. When we say, come Lord Jesus, during this time... It's an invitation extended from those who have been oppressed, those who have been kicked to the curb, those who have been mistreated, those who have been imprisoned. It's an invitation to the same Jesus who invaded the world 2,000 years ago. It's an invitation to him to say, would you come and enter into my circumstances, my situation in the same way? It's like us stopping and saying, it looks like we are standing in some miry clay. It looks like we're in some shifty ground. We found ourselves in an awkward place, and we could use some help. That's what it means to say, come, Lord Jesus. So it's an invitation, but it's also an admission. You say, well, how is it an admission? What are we admitting? It's an admission to the incompleteness of this life. It's us acknowledging that there is work that is yet to be done. It's us coming to grips with the brokenness of this world that is around us. So when we, during Advent, pause and maybe whisper the words, come, Lord Jesus, we are shifting our focus. We are changing our loyalties. We are saying, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And we're inviting him into this brokenness that we willingly admit is here. Jesus is Lord. I'm going to invite the band to to come up and join me on the stage, and and we're going to sing together a song about the presence of Jesus, about being in his presence, and And I know that during this season, um, it's been very strange and maybe different and hard to engage in worship from home. And if you're watching on a screen, I know that's incredibly complicated. But in this moment, I'd like for you to pause. I'd like for you to find a spot, find a place, find a spot in your own heart or your own mind where you can literally just focus on the presence of Jesus and make this song a whisper to the Lord of, Come, Lord Jesus, come and be a part of my circumstances. Before we worship, would you just join me? And let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your presence. And there is a peace that comes with your presence. There is a a peace that goes beyond our circumstances, that goes beyond our expectations. There is a peace that your own scriptures say surpasses, it goes beyond even our understanding. There's a peace that we can have in you. And I pray that even now, As we utter to you with our hearts and our mouths, come Lord Jesus, that we would experience no matter where we're watching, no matter when we're doing this, the time of day, the things that are taking place around us. Lord, may you give us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together, and then in just a moment, I'll offer the benediction.
1: through the motions. I'm sorry, and I just sing another song. Take me back.
0: I think that sometimes in our cerebral world that fixates on the physical, we lose sight of a promise that Jesus made us and that's that he would never leave us or forsake us. We lose sight of those moments when Jesus says, I'm going to send you my spirit to be uh, your comforter, to come alongside of you. We lose sight of this in the physicality and the cerebral nature of our world. And and because of that, we can sing a song like this and we can talk about the presence of Jesus and can sort of feel like a, a theological exercise. But if we, if we truly believe the words of Jesus, if we lean in and we trust what he's saying to us, it means that at any place, at any time, no matter the circumstances, no matter bleak or, or painful or frustrating or confusing, that we can literally just acknowledge the presence of Jesus and that his very presence as the Prince of Peace will give us a calm a joy, a capacity to love, a hope that extends beyond whatever circumstances are immediately around us, whatever things are taking place. And so as, as we close our time together, I just want to offer this benediction. If you'd like to place your hands out, if you would, if you're at home, it might be kind of strange to do this, but I encourage you to do it just to receive in this moment, may you encounter the Prince of Peace. May you know the presence of Jesus and may you, exude that peace and that confidence and that joy that comes when you experience him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys so much, and uh, I, I know that Alex said it last week. I'm going to say it this week. We would love nothing more than to be in person with you, and uh, This is a a poor substitute, but it is a substitute, and it gets us through this season. And so if you need anything, if you want to pray with somebody, if you just have a question, please don't hesitate to email us or call us. Uh, We've got different programs and things that are taking place in smaller groups. If you need to connect with somebody, if you're needing anything, please would you just reach out and let us know. And until we see you next time, God bless you. Grace and peace to all of you. We love you, and we'll see you guys again really soon.